I so appreciate our tech team and the stuff they do to just kind of get me into the sermons. So thanks so much for that. Last week for the Hunger Games, I'm kind of still hungry. Hopefully uh, some of the hungers of your heart have been addressed as we've been looking at the person of Jesus, especially the I am statements of Jesus, where it's Jesus according to Jesus. It's not someone speculating about Jesus, it's Jesus speaking about himself. And the reality that we've discovered is that Jesus does address the, the core hungers and thirsts of the heart and of the soul. If you're new to Seacoast, my name is Pastor Dale. It's my joy to uh, teach the Word along with Pastor Ryan. Um, and uh, it's a joy to meet you later in the plaza. I'd love to have a chance to do that. Open your Bibles to, um, to John chapter 11. We've been studying John 4 to John 11, which is the section of John in which he's, Jesus is kind of self-revealing who he is through these I am statements. Today, we're going to hit the hunger for what I call the hunger for beyond. The hunger for beyond. Pray with me. Father God, thanks for your word and thanks for John 11. Thanks for Jesus. Thanks for the clarity at which he speaks into our lives and the hungers of our heart especially. Uh, so, Father, as we study the Word, I pray that you would uh, do what I uh, can never do. I can stand up here, I can study, I can teach. But I pray that the Spirit of God that is alive and well, that lives in your children, would, uh, uh, would address the hungers of our heart as we study this together. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to imagine that you've arrived at church, and for some of you, this is going to be a little bit of a stretch. You actually showed up early. Okay, now that just kind of take it as we You show up early. In fact, you've never been that early to a church service. Uh, let's imagine you were probably an hour ahead of time when you showed up. Now, let me just go a little further. This church service is not on a Sunday morning. It's a service in which... Uh, You've probably been to many of them during your life. And you not only show up an hour early, but you actually get prime seating right down front. What do you think I'm describing? You are early. Well, at least your body is. But you are in a box. Now, you've probably never come to church in a box before. Box is probably about almost eight foot long, probably about two and a half to three foot wide, probably about this deep. It's a pretty box. It's ornate, brand new, never been used before. You got a brand new box. What am I describing now? Your funeral. Yeah, most of us, I mean, unless you're cremated, then you show up in an urn as a bunch of ashes. But that doesn't make the illustration nearly as exciting. But you show up for your own funeral. In reality, you're not really there, but at least your body is. The question is, if you're not really there... Where are you on that day? And how do you know where you'll be on that day? If there's a universal hunger of the heart, that's true of history and humanity. From the very earliest of times that we have of 
people of all cultures around the globe, there's an internal sense in the human soul that there is something beyond this life. That there is something beyond the grave. But yet there's a huge hunger to try to understand it. Try to have any kind of confidence that, okay, I I don't have to just kind of have a speculation about it. I, I have a reason to believe I know where I will be on that day when my body is in the box. Jesus in John 11 confronts uh, what's considered probably the universal enemy of mankind, and that is called death. He's going to confront it straight on. In fact, he's going to confront it by letting it happen when he could have prevented it, just so that you and I can have a better understanding of what that reality really is. So listen to it. Let's engage it together. John chapter 11. I'll kind of track you through the story. I've given you a handout, as I always do. If you want to take a few notes, feel free to do so, and it'll help you maybe process it for your own life. Here we go. Jesus begins to wait. The story begins with Jesus not acting, but doing nothing when he normally would show up early. Jesus waits. He's not early. In fact, he's late, according to his loved ones. And he, and he watches as his loved ones suffer and die. Here we go. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister Martha. Remember Mary and Martha, two of the closest friends and followers of Jesus. It was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her own hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sisters, I mean, good grief, they're intimately Uh, acquainted with Jesus, close friends of Jesus. Jesus would stay in their home. So the sister sent word to him saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said to his disciples, this sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now, Jesus loved Mary and he loved Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus. They want to be on. It's interesting that God draws that out. This is not an issue of him lacking a deep love for these three people. It says, Now, Jesus loved the three of them. Verse 6. So when he heard that he was sick, he then went immediately to heal him. Is that what it says? No. That's the surprise of the story. So when he heard he was sick, he then stayed two days longer than he had planned, two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, then he said to his disciples, let's go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, teacher, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. Remember last week's story. They were seeking to stone you up in, down in Judea as Jesus had gone back to uh, Uh, Back to Galilee. It says, are you going to go there again? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not with him. This he said, and then afterwards he then said to him, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may awaken him out of sleep. Now the disciples then said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he's going to recover. And the idea is, it says, now Jesus had spoken about his death, metaphorically calling it 
falling asleep, but they thought he was speaking about them plainly. In other words, that Lazarus was, was uh, sick, maybe he was asleep, maybe he was in a coma, whatever, but Jesus is saying, hey, he's going to wake up. So, you know, they're saying, our friend Lazarus is falling asleep, but I go so that I may awaken him out of the sleep. The disciples said, Lord, if he's falling asleep, he'll recover. But Jesus had spoken of his death. But they thought he was speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus then said to them plainly, you know, and I love this, guys, Lazarus is dead. Okay, can, can you not understand what I'm getting at here? You know, pick up the meaning behind the message. Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And therefore, Thomas, who is called Didymus, remember Thomas? Thomas is famous for what? Thomas the, the doubter. He's the doubter that doubted. You know, they said, Jesus is risen from the dead. He's alive. And Thomas says, you know something? I've got to see it to believe it. You know, G, you know, Thomas is the logical disciple. Don't get too hard on Thomas. Thomas is the uh, thinker. Thomas is the, the logical one. And, you know, if you, and, and no one's ever risen from the dead. You say, Jesus is alive. He rose from the dead. Thomas says, I don't buy that. That's not the way it goes down. Well, in this same story, I love the fact that Thomas is the one disciple that is logical about what's going on. Thomas says, he said to his fellow disciples, well, let us go. Let us also go so that we may die with him. Now, you kind of can read that a couple different ways. You know, I love to kind of imagine the tone of voice that Thomas is using, but unfortunately, we don't have it recorded on audio, so I think this can kind of play a couple different ways. You know, Thomas's response may very well be, in fact, I kind of take it like this, all right, you know, we might as well go die together. You know, if Jesus is not going to listen to us, he's not going to be smart about this thing, he's going to do the illogical thing, we know what's waiting for him in Jerusalem. We know that Bethany, by the way, where Lazarus was and where Mary and Martha lived was only about two miles from Jerusalem, the hotbed of the opposition for Jesus. Good grief, they tried to stone you last week, Jesus, and now you're going to go back. And first they say, Lord, this is not a good move, let's not go there. And then Thomas says, hey, guys, we might as well go die with him. Now, either he said it that way, or maybe he's more courageous. He wanted to be more positive about Thomas. Maybe he said, hey, guys, let's go die with him. You know, we're his, we're his, we got his backside. We're going we're gonna to go to the grave with him when we have to. You know, so I'm not sure if this is a good move or a bad move, but one thing I do know is Thomas got it right. Thomas understood what was on the line. Thomas, more than anyone else, the logical one, knew that, you know something, we go there, this is not going to end well it's not going to end well for jesus it's probably not going to end well for us but i love the fact he had at least the courage to say i'm not bailing out let's go so you can kind of read it a little way but you got to get into the story to capture what's going to happen next so jesus finally leaves jesus shows up late but he doesn't even get a chance to get all the way to bethany instead out, when when he's get on the edge of town, he is confronted first by Martha. Pick it up, verse 17. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb for four days. So Lazarus had not only died, but he had died four days earlier, probably shortly after they sent word. They had to travel to get the word to Jesus, and Jesus learned about it. And then Jesus said, I'm going to wait two more days. And then he took off, and it took, and it would have taken him a couple days to get there. So you can see where time is moving on. And, 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 they, and they come, and Lazarus has died and been uh, in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews, that is from Jerusalem, 
uh, had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother's death. And Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, she got the word that he's on his way. She went to meet him, but Mary stayed at the house. Uh, again, notice Mary and Martha. Remember the other stories of them? Martha was the one that was uh, always busy about taking care of details. She was the let's get it done activator in the family. Mary was the more emotional, more, more, more. Uh, I mean, Mary was Mary would have been the musician in the crowd and, and Martha was the manager. You know, she was the one that always took charge, got it done. In fact, at some points criticized Mary for just wanting to sit at the feet of Jesus, you know, but Mary was the one that was just just had this deep love for Jesus. Martha had just as much love for Jesus, but you're seeing two different personalities. You're seeing Martha, the, by golly, I, I get it organized. It's my job to get it done. I sent word to Jesus. I let him know in plenty of time. Why didn't he come and do what he should have done? And, you know, so she's, she would have been a great project manager if you had Martha. But yet Mary was the, you know, I'm a little more feeling it, okay? So Mary stays behind. Martha runs to meet Jesus first. Here's the encounter. I love it. Verse 20. Martha, therefore, when she had heard Jesus was coming, went to meet him. But Mary stayed at the house, weeping, mourning. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Boom. Let me just tell you what you should know. So she's letting Jesus in on this, right? Even now, I know that whatever you ask God, God will give to you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha responded, I, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. In other words, Jesus, I know my theology. Okay, you don't have to tell me that we die and then sometime in the future there's this resurrection of the body and the body is reunited with the soul. It's taught in scripture. Martha knew it. But she said, but you know, she's thinking, but Jesus, I don't need theology right now. I need my brother. You know, I don't need theology. You know, I, I need Lazarus back. And if you had done what you should have done, you, this would have been prevented. So you can just see the tension in the air. Martha says, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus says, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. You believe this? And Martha delivers a statement of faith. Y yes, Lord. I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into this world, meaning from heaven. In other words, Jesus, I've got it. I'm not saying I don't believe in you. I'm just saying I'm frustrated with you. The reality is Martha is a great example of a woman who has a strong faith, clear understanding of Jesus, but she is just ticked off at God. She is irritated with Jesus. That's why I call this section frustration, confusion, and faith. She is frustrated with Jesus. Why didn't you do what you do for other people when you say you love us? Okay, You can feel it in the air. So you've got to understand this thing. I love this story. So, so she's frustrated, she's confused, why didn't you do what I asked you to do? But yet, when asked, do you believe, she responds, it's faith. Sure, I believe, but that doesn't mean I'm not ticked off. That's my paraphrase. And then Mary, so he sends her. At this point, Jesus says something to her and tells her, all right, now, now go get your sister, go get, go get Mary. So we pick it up in verse 28 when she heads off. 
says, when she had said this, she went away and called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, because Jesus probably said, don't try to bring a whole crowd. Just whisper to Mary and say, Mary, um, the teacher is here. He's just outside of town and he's calling for you. And when she heard that, she got up quickly and was coming to Jesus. So as soon as Jesus sent direct word to Mary and said, you know, come and see me, but I don't want to make a scene yet. So Mary then gets up and, and she, she bolts out of the house, hidden down the lane toward where Jesus was. She got up quickly and went. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but he was still in the place where Martha met him. So he's hanging out there. And then the Jews who were with Mary in the house and consoling her, when they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, they followed her supposing she was going to go to the tomb to weep there. I mean, she's just distraught and weeping. And so she gets up, goes out of the house. She must be going to the tomb to weep. So any good friend of hers, under the Jewish tradition, you gather, you mourn with them. You weep with those who weep. You rejoice with those who rejoice. And especially that culture is good at this. They're good at at entering into the pain, man. So they are with Mary. Well, if Mary's going to go to the tomb to, to, to cry some more, let's take our tears to the tomb. So they they follow her, but then they're all surprised. They're all surprised because she goes, and all of a sudden there's Jesus. Therefore, verse 32, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him. And notice her reaction, how different. Martha was in his face. Lord, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. Uh, Martha is the logical manager of the situation. She's managing her pain by telling Jesus what he did wrong and how he could have fixed it. Now, Mary kind of shares the frustration, but very differently. She falls at his feet saying, Lord, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. See, her reaction is very different. It's, it's more grief and disappointment. So you know, I, I kind of capture Mary as the grief with just disappointment with God. But she's crying her way through it. And by the way, there are times in our lives in which you are going to be disappointed with God. I'm going to come back to this in a minute. But when that happens, let me just clue you to a book. Uh, The best study on why does God sometimes disappoint us, not deliver the way we would think he would deliver, do things that doesn't make sense necessarily. Uh, I recommend Philip Yancey. I'm a Yancey fan. And Yancey wrote a book years ago called Disappointment with God. It's still one of the very best studies. Yancey, uh, coming out of a situation where a young man came to him and, and laid out an incredible story of bad news after bad news and where is God when you're hurting. And uh, Yancey actually said that it cost him to go on a one-year journey where he got alone in the mountains in a cabin and he read the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation looking for one thing. Why does God disappoint us? Because Yancey's a, he's a realist. I like his theology. He confronts the fact that at times we all feel disappointed in God. And, and, and this is one thing I love about Seacoast is it gives me the freedom to help you understand that because you're going to be there someday. You're going to be like Mary and Martha. And if you're not in the box, your friend is in the box. And you're wondering, why didn't God show up? Why did he let this happen? This doesn't make sense to me. I prayed God was absentee and that's what they're feeling that's what they're feeling if you had just been here jesus this would not have happened now notice jesus's response 
kind of different to Mary than to Martha in verse 33. Now when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Shortest single verse in the Scripture is in your English Bible. Now, by the way, those of you that know Greek would know that in the Greek language, it's kind of a long word, a lot of letters. There's actually one other verse that's a little shorter and to the point. You know what it is? The actual, there's a little Bible trivia. You can fool your friends with this one, okay? What's the shortest verse in the Bible? It's where Jesus declares on the cross, it is finished. Okay, it is finished when he had died for our sins on the cross. Actually, a little bit shorter in, in the Greek language of the scriptures. But if you're, you know, if you're into the English, you're right. So it's a trivia question. You know, you know bet someone 20 bucks and, and get a free lunch. Here we go. Verse 36. Don't do that. I'm just, buy them lunch. Here we go. So the Jews were saying, Jesus wept. Jesus enter, enter, enters into the grief with them. Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, see how he loved him. So Jesus is weeping. Uh, in fact, I used to teach, and in, in when I taught this passage to people, that I believed that Jesus was weeping, not so much just because Lazarus had died or, or, or his death, but Jesus was weeping because of their lack of faith. You know something? I think that's a bogus. I, I erased that sermon years ago. Don't go back and find that one. I really don't believe Jesus is weeping because of their lack of faith. I think Martha expressed her faith. I think Mary expresses her faith. I think there's a lot of faith going on here. Now, they don't fully understand what's coming down. But it's not like they've totally abandoned their faith in Jesus. They are just stinking hurting. They are sad. They are grieving because this Lazarus that they dearly loved, they knew Jesus loved, you know, all of a sudden, for some reason, he gets sick. It probably means it wasn't old age, and he died. And when they had watched Jesus heal so many people, they were, they were confused. They're frustrated, they're confused, and they're saying, why did not Jesus do for the people he loves the most what he does for common strangers? You ever felt that way? See, I don't know, but when I get into the emotions of this sermon, I kind of begin to identify with this because there have been times in my life when I kind of, kind of like, you know, God, I love you. I like serving you. I'm like a pastor and you don't show up. Or you're thinking, you know, I, you know, I've been a Christian for X number of years and I do this and I serve in the preschool and I give my money and I'm a tither and God doesn't show up. And, and you're disappointed, you're frustrated, and, and, and especially when it's a loved one that you dearly love, you just are broken and you cry. You know, a few years ago when Becky and I walked through the death of a grandchild, that's, that was a new deal for me. It's one thing to bury your dad. I did that years ago. It's one thing to bury your mom. I did that, you know, but, you know, in her late 80s. But, you know, you kind of figure that that's the way life goes, right? But, you know, you don't expect a full-term baby to die a week before he's supposed to be delivered. And you think, so why did you let this happen for one week short of nine months? So when you lose a loved one, it hurts and I love the fact that what we're seeing here is that Jesus gets together with them in their sorrow. Jesus hurt too. That there's nothing shameful, there's nothing sinful about weeping. Weeping is not sin. 
Jesus was a fully emotional person. God is a fully emotional being. God hurts. I like Johnny Erickson's statement, you know, God weeps is the title of her book on suffering. Johnny Erickson Tata. So Jesus enters into the sorrow. He weeps with them. And, and then he says, okay, wh- where is he? And, and they take him to the tomb of, Jesus, of Lazarus. And then the story gets really cool. Verse 38. So Jesus, again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. It was a cave. And a stone was lying against it. And Jesus must have been thinking, you know something, this looks familiar. I think I've seen visions of this coming in just a few days for me. The stone was lying against it to close off the tomb. Jesus says, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord. By the, again, Martha, the logical, right? I love this. Martha, the logical, says, Lord, by this time there will be a stench. Understatement of the year. For he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you believe, you'll see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes to the heavens and he said, Father, I thank you. I thank you that, I ha- that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, as Jesus perhaps looks around at all this crowd that's gathered now, because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. So when he said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come off, come forth. So he calls for Lazarus to come forth out of this cave of a tomb. Therefore many, and and, and then it says, and when he said these things, he cried out, Lazarus, come forth, and the man who had died came forth. But here's how he's coming forth. He comes out, okay, he comes out, bound hand and foot with wrappings and his face was wrapped around with a cloth and jesus said to them unbind him and let him go see the jewish tradition of burial which will come up for jesus in just about another week or so is is to uh, is to cleanse the body after it's died ceremonially and then they would wrap the body often in linen strips that are about a foot wide so this is not little ace bandages these are strips of linen about a foot wide or so and they would wrap the body from the from the head usually to the to the chin then they do a separate wrapping around around the head and cover the face and 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 they would lay the arms like this and they would wrap and close the arms up in this position so this body had been wrapped and then they would anoint the wrappings with a mixture of perfumey substances and myrrh and aloes and other it, it kind of it kind of makes a sticky substance that kind of dries in, in not a hard, but more like a soft body cast. So Lazarus, when Jesus said, come forth, you know, God gave him the ability to at least bend his knees. He, he gets up and he's coming out of the tomb, but he's still wrapped. Now, if this would not freak you out, I don't know what story in the Bible does, okay? So he comes out wrapped like this, and, and it's, even his face was still covered, and Jesus says, hey, unbind the guy, you know, so they had to unbind him. Now, by the way, when Jesus rose from the dead, Peter was skeptical. But Peter ran to the tomb, and the Bible says when he looked into the tomb, he saw the wrappings, and in the Greek language, it says still rolled up. And I think what it means, actually, is he saw the wrappings still in the shape of the body. 
You see, when Jesus rose from the dead, he would have like just come outside of his wrappings. He didn't get up and unwrap himself and step out of them. And you know, Jesus would have come right through those wrappings, just like he would go through walls in his resurrected body. So when they looked into the tomb, that's one reason the disciples were willing to die for their faith in the resurrection, is that they didn't see the wrappings all untwined like someone broke into the tomb and unwrapped Jesus and took his body. That would look very different. There's no way to explain how wrappings would still be wrapped with no body. See, the history behind the resurrection of Jesus is incredible in terms of the evidence for his rising from the dead. It's why his disciples had such a firm belief that they would die for it. Because it wasn't just a rumor that got started. Don't believe modern-day skeptics that would teach it as if that's how it went down. History records uh, too much detail for us to, uh, to not get this. So anyway, it's a, it's a neat side story. Lazarus comes forth. Now the people react. How do they react? Well, it's in verses 45 to 57, but let me just summarize it. 45 says, Therefore many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what had been done believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. And therefore, verse 47, the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council. They called a meeting and they were saying, what are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. They don't question whether he did it, by the way. There was too much evidence. So the enemies of Jesus acknowledge that he rose Lazarus from the dead. I love this. Look what they said in verse 48. If we let him go on like this, all the men will believe in him. And then the Romans are going to come and they're going to take away both our place and our nation. You see, they they knew what would go down. If if, if this Jesus movement continued to go, man, if Jesus does a few more like this one, who cannot believe in him? All the people are going to believe in him and then the Romans are going to get really ticked off. They're going to swoop in with their army and they're going to slaughter a bunch of us and take control. Because they'll fear that Jesus, the king of the Jews, right? You know, that's why the Romans put that over his head on the cross. You're the king of the Jews, man. Let me say, you know, they, 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 they needed to get rid of Jesus. And in fact, if you read chapter 12 next week, look ahead. They even said, and by the way, we better kill Lazarus too. Because people are believing in Jesus because of him. That's quite a testimony. It's quite a story. So the people react with a mixture. Some have faith, some have fear. Some plot to kill Jesus and even Lazarus. So what do we take away from this incredible story? Let me try to pull from it what I think I learned at least about God and about my relationship and my future. Number one, God has a bigger plan than we can see. So expect to be frustrated and disappointed with God at times. God always, because God has this vision that sees not only me and my situation and my grief, he sees my situation and then he sees the ripple effect of that around the world forever as he decides what to do. I see my situation, I have a solution, I ask God to do it. That's pretty simplistic. God's always got a bigger plan than we can see. In this case, it was to show that death is alive, but it's defeated. Yeah, people are still getting sick and dying, but you need to know this death thing has been defeated by me. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. 
So expect at times for us to be frustrated because we don't understand the bigger, the bigger scenario that God is playing out in our lives as well. Number two, it, it, he doesn't just have a bigger plan. He has a deeper love than we can feel. God has a deeper love than we can feel. Sometimes the way God acts or the lack of action from God makes us think or think he feels very little love for us. I think this story is a great illustration of where it shows that God hates death. He weeps with us. It shows that God indeed hates pain, suffering, and death. He weeps when we weep. He hurts when we hurt. And he does love you. So it reminds me, don't draw the conclusion that Mary and Martha were drawing. Like, Jesus, you know, why, why didn't you act? It just makes sense to us that you would do this. There will be times in your life where it makes perfect sense that God should have done something he doesn't do. Don't question his love. Say, Dale, why do I not question his love? Well, it's because we're going to go to the communion table in a minute and we're going to worship And remember that this same Jesus would go to the cross, be crucified, die a horrendous death for your sin and for mine. And he says, just when you begin to question whether I love you or care enough, look to the cross. Look to the cross. Number three. God has a grander future than we can imagine. He has a grander future than we can imagine because he has defeated death and forever and and, and our quote forever is secure and glorious. I I wish I had time to go into these passages, but let me give you a couple side passages that you can read this week. Uh, Go read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 13 to 17. 1 Thessalonians or Thess for short chapter 4 13 to 17. It begins by saying, you know, death happens, but when you grieve, don't grieve as those who have no hope, but grieve as those who know what's coming. And then it describes this day in which even after we die, because when you die, your body stays in the ground or, or decays and goes away, but your soul is alive. And, and Philippians chapter 1, there's another good one. Write that one down. Philippians 1, 21 to 23 Paul says to be, he says, I, I, I really yearn in some ways to go ahead and die because uh, he says, if I die, I know I'll, I will be present with the Lord and that'll be really fun, but it's better for you if I hang around and help you. But you know, when I die, man, I'm getting a promotion. I'm going to be in the presence of God. So when you die, your soul is immediately in the presence of God. In fact, Jesus says, he who believes in me, even if he even if he dies, he, you know, he will never really die because your conscious soul doesn't die. It just suddenly leaves your body and is in the presence of God. Amazing. I can't, excri- I can't describe exactly what it's like, but the fact is it's taught clearly in Scripture that you have a grander future. You're going to go, your soul will go and be united with Jesus with other loved ones, um, in a place called heaven. But in the future, it gets even better because then there's this time uh, toward the end of time, First Thess 4, where all of a sudden Jesus appears in the clouds uh, and, and, and it says those who have died with faith in Christ, it says their, 
a spiritual body for them is resurrected. Their body is resurrected miraculously as a new spiritual body, and it's reunited with their soul. So now you spend the rest of eternity, not as an angel with wings or some freaky idea like that. That's not taught in the Bible. You spend it as a real person with a real spiritual body like Jesus had in his resurrection, uh, with your real soul reunited with your body, and, and you live that way. In fact, Revelation 21, 22, write that one down and read it this week if you really want to blow your mind. You're going to live not just up in the clouds, you're going to live on the earth because you're going to live in a newly created earth and a newly created heaven called the new heaven, new earth. Not a real creative name for it, but that's what God chose. I'm okay with that. It's new heaven, new earth, recreated by God for you to dwell in forever and ever. No pain, no suffering, no sin, no more death, no more pain. Boom. Now that's your grand future. And when you have to suffer right now on planet earth, understand that God has a great deal going for you. So Jesus ends his conversation with one question. It's in verse 25. I am the resurrection of the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. Verse 26. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. You're not going to die. Do you believe this? Do you believe me? So the real question of the morning for us is do you believe that God has a bigger plan? He has a deeper love. He has a grander future. But most of all, do you believe that Jesus can deliver all of that? If you've never placed your faith in Christ, don't go out this door without doing that. If you've placed your faith in Christ years ago, don't go out this door without having a deeper love and appreciation for the grace of God which forgives us and gives us this kind of a grand future. You believe in Jesus, you will never. Do you hear that word? Never die. Pray with me. Father God, thank you for the amazing, amazing gift of life in Christ. Lord, uh, we pause for a second to invite any friends here today who perhaps have never expressed their faith in Jesus. Maybe they've wondered about Him. But I invite them today to, to pray this simple prayer with me. Uh, Lord, I believe. Lord, I believe. I believe that You are the resurrection and the life. That You are the Son of God who died on the cross for my sins. I choose today to put my trust in You as my Savior to follow you as my Lord. And Lord, as we move back into a time of worship now, um, thank you that we have a chance to sit unhurried and reflect on the cross and what you did there and that you're alive today. To take a moment to remember your body broken for us, your blood spilled for us, that we might live forever and ever. In Christ's name, amen. Today as we worship and have a time of communion, we've set aside a little extra time so there's no rush. I want to just encourage you to sit quietly, pray, worship, listen. Whatever speaks 
your love language to God. And then when you're ready, and don't rush, please, there are four different stations set up around the room. Just slip to one of those tables and, and uh, partake of the bread, a reminder of the body of Jesus sacrificed for us. Drink of the cup, a reminder of his blood shed for you. And then maybe just slip off by yourself in the room somewhere. Maybe gather with a couple friends and just pray or give thanks. I'm also going to, myself and some of our elders who are here or prayer team, if you can meet me over at this cross in the corner, maybe after you do that, you'd like to just, maybe there's something we could pray for in your life. We want to be there to pray with you uh, today. So enjoy your time privately with the Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your body and for this symbol of your body and blood. Thank you that it reminds us as we worship of all that you did for us. We worship around the Lord's table now. In Jesus' name, amen.